What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Through the Smoke A, Miami Hurricanes podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. Andrew Ivins joined, as always, by my man, David Lake. David, how are you doing? We're uh, taping episode, take two of this episode, and we're doing it on a Saturday morning very early, so not our, not our normal podcasting time, but uh, how you doing? Doing well. Yeah, yesterday, so Friday would be yesterday. My uh, pull-up bar and dip station arrived. So I spent last night putting that together, getting some pull-ups in, some dips in, trying to do what I can during these COVID times. But yeah, I was excited, felt kind of manly putting something together. That's really not my kind of thing, but got it done. Uh, I'm I'm lucky. There's like a pull-up rig at a park right by my house that I walk to, although technically that park's closed. So um, I'm always like on the lookout for police or park rangers that are going to come and uh, <laughs> kick me out. I will say down in on Fort Lauderdale Beach, what they've done on the weekends is they have blocked off two entire lanes for people to run or bike um nice so i took i took advantage of that last night it's it's pretty nice i mean you can run three four miles like strictly on pavement no terrain change it's it's pretty pretty sweet yeah you're getting some miles in lately right i know i've i've quarantined andy's all about the mileage (laughs) um it's a good way to escape yeah. Before we kind of get into uh, today's podcast, it's going to be a, a more of a quick one. We're trying to go to a week now. That's that's kind of the plan moving forward. We want to thank everyone who subscribes to the podcast. Um, you know, we haven't really done that yet on this show. And David, as you pointed out yesterday, we're like a year into this thing, uh, which is kind of crazy to think about. So thank you, everyone who subscribes. Thank you, everyone who listens um, and, and whatever plat- platform you find that on. And hey, if you guys give us a review, uh, much appreciated. I saw a few five-star reviews in there recently. So I just want to start this off by saying thanks again, everyone who was supporting uh, the show. Yeah, I mean, all this stuff is great in terms of getting the show, the word on the show out there. Five-star reviews and, and reviews in general matter for the algorithm of Apple Podcasts and all that good stuff. So it makes us happy, makes the boss man happy. You know, we are proud of, of the growth of this show over the past year, and we want to keep it rolling. So if you guys wouldn't mind taking a minute and giving us that five-star review, it would be much appreciated. Okay, let's kind of get right into it. First order of business, new name in the transfer portal for Miami. Um, Manny Diaz, obviously the king of the transfer portal. But uh, as news broke a few days ago, I think it was Thursday or Wednesday or Thursday, Houston offensive tackle Jared Williams um, is seeking to use his sixth year of eligibility elsewhere. Uh, I say sixth year because he's a kid who has been granted an extra year of eligibility due to injury. Um, David, if we talked about maybe kind of creating a player for Miami to add to the roster here late. Uh, I think Jared Williams is the guy. He's a veteran tackle. Uh, he comes from a not a program that has ties to Miami, but uh, he spent a few years blocking for Derek King. And we know that Miami, 
needs some help on the offensive line. So what, it, what are your thoughts on Jared Williams? I know you wrote uh, a real detailed piece on why he would make sense for Miami. So I guess my question is, why would he make sense? Yeah, I mean, you touched on it. I think w- one of the reasons why he would make sense is, quite frankly, not many quality offensive tackles mm-hmm. enter the transfer portal. Uh, you know, offensive line is a position that every team in the country pretty much needs. And so if you have a good offensive offensive line or offensive tackle, typically they're not going to leave your program. It's just very, very rare. Well, Jared Williams is a guy from the group of five level that is believed to be a fringe NFL draft prospect. So like a late round guy. Uh, he, he has plenty of starts under his belt at Houston. And when you look at his pro football focus numbers uh, from his previous uh, seasons and games, he grades out quite well. If you look at the 2018 season, um, he grades out at a, let me find the number here. He grades out at a 79, I believe, pass blocking rating and for run blocking rating, I believe it's like a, or sorry, it's an 80.8 pass blocking grade. And then run blocking grade is 76.9 for an entire season. In that year, he allowed just two sacks and 13 quarterback pressures in 544 pass blocking snaps. So that's a lot of numbers. What does it all mean? If you compare it to Miami's 2019 offensive line, um, all those guys, all those guys except Navon Donaldson, allowed at least 20 pressures on the year, which is considered a lot. Anything over 20 is is really really bad. Um, you know, some of those guys were in the mid to high 20s, and then Zion Nelson. You know, it was we've touched on this before. It was almost unfair that he had to play as a true freshman. He was in the 30s. Uh, mid to high 30s for was, pressures allowed. I was going to say, you said Jared Jared Williams' uh, pass blocking grade for the season was, what, a 79? Uh, I just looked it up. Zion Nelson's was a 46.8 for the entire season, and that includes right. the uh, now famous 0.0 score <laughs> against Florida in week zero. Okay, by the way, you're going to sidetrack me now, but so that Florida-Miami game was on TV this past week, and I watched it. Man, Miami was so <laughs> that fourth quarter. They were so close to pulling that thing out. Didn't know. get it done, of course. You got to get it done. But also, the other thought I had in that game was, man, what? Why did Dan Enos and Butch Berry think it would be a good idea to play him? I mean, do I think there was a clear, uh, obvious answer to put there instead? I don't know. It's just, man, a true freshman against Jabari Zuniga. I don't know. Anyways, back to Jared Williams. So yeah, I granted his impressive numbers, he puts them up against primarily group of five talent, but they have, you know, Houston does play a couple power five teams per year the past two years. And so I went back and looked at how he performed in all those games. 2018, they played Arizona and Texas Tech. And then in 2019, they played Oklahoma and Washington State. So in those four games, how did Jared Williams uh, perform? 
In those games, he played 307 snaps, did not allow a single sack, according to Pro Football Focus, and allowed just seven quarterback pressures. And again, he primarily plays right tackle uh, for Houston. And the reason for that, I believe, is because they had a very, very good left tackle in Josh Jones, uh, who was selected, I believe, yeah. in the third round by the Arizona Cardinals, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was a he had day one talk or round one interest. So, you know, all these things add up to me like, yes, he is a quality offensive lineman. To me, he's a plug and play starter. In my opinion, for this reason we just said with Josh Jones being a, a left tackle, I don't see why Jared could not be a left tackle at Miami. I mean, yes, his, his playing time has primarily been at right tackle, and so maybe it's just simpler to put him there. But in my opinion, you go with the veteran offensive tackle on the left side always. And so if he decides to come to Miami, that's where I would put him. Uh, what do you think about that idea? Oh, I think you kind of just take him and see what you got, um, you know, because I don't think Miami really knows what it has on the offensive line. Uh, I know you did it, did a put out a site or put out a story on the site, excuse me, where you were kind of like, hey, who should Miami's two tackles be in, in 2020? And I, I think I picked uh, John Campbell and, and DJ Scaife, but as I was trying to pencil in a starting lineup I was like oh I forgot about this guy oh I forgot about that guy I mean yeah. I think if you're Miami it's pretty established that Corey Gaynor is your center um, yeah. I, I would think Ja'Kai Clark's one of those guards a lot of people including me and you probably think Scaife needs to be on the inside um, and then you've got Campbell as a tackle uh, John Campbell I, I think he, he could be a guy I think he could take a step forward you know he was the sixth lineman last year uh, so so let's say we start you start him on the right side and then that left tackle position, you would have Zion Nelson, um, uh, this kid, uh, Kylie, Kylie on Herbert. And we, we totally forgot about Navon Donaldson. So Miami's kind of got options. I don't, I don't know if you would recruit him telling him, Hey, he's going to be, um, this position, you know, Hey, you are a left tackle, but I think you bring him in and give him every chance, uh, to compete. Speaking of the recruitment, I guess we should kind of get it, put this out there. I, I touched, Based with a number of contacts on Thursday and Friday, definitely sounds like Miami is 100% interested. Um, you know, I kind of tossed out the idea, hey, this is the perfect guy for you. I mean, it's a veteran tackle, not just like a guard. He's a tackle, yeah. uh, and he's got ties to Derek King. Um, and I don't know if there's been much contact as of our Saturday morning uh, podcast taping time but I, I do know my do know Miami's going to try to initiate some contact I would assume get uh, Manny Diaz on the phone and uh, I think I told you I mean who knows where 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 uh, where he's going to be leaning but I, I will say um, that I do know he vacationed uh, Jared did in, in South Beach uh, on his spring break two years ago so maybe maybe he's got that lasting impression uh, of, of South Florida and I can add uh, one school I think to watch out for would be Baylor. Um, Jared played at Cedar Hill. It's a very story program in the Texas area. Uh, his head coach at the time was Joey McGuire. Joey McGuire is now on staff at Baylor. Uh, he was a holdover from Matt Rule going to uh, Dave Aranda. So I think uh, the Bears will probably be involved as well. And they're, they're another school that's been pretty active in the portal. Take us through 
the counter, remind us what the counter situation is for Miami again. Uh, they pretty much have one spot. Is that safe to say? Right, right, right. So Miami introduced what 24 signees, or it's not uh, on uh, on between the early signing period and national signing day. It was 24 total. That included included the three transfers. Um, Miami didn't take, or I should say, sign or send paperwork to the number 25, and that was Willie Moyce, the defensive lineman slash offensive lineman. That was at Hollywood Shamanan Madonna Prep. Remember, he had shoulder surgery. Um, so Miami kept that spot open, and Manny Diaz told reporters that they could save it for a transfer uh, if the right guy came along. And um, I think there's a chance that they might do that. I think we talked about in the past how that that 25th counter could potentially go to a wide receiver, and Tariq Black was a guy we had brought up on this podcast, the wide receiver out of Michigan. Well, he just picked Texas. And there hasn't really been much movement on that on that front. I do think if you can add uh, a wide receiver, Miami would be very open to doing that. But I think at this stage, maybe an offensive lineman makes a little more sense. And look, man, if, if Miami wanted to get Willie Moyes in, I, I think they could just kind of given um, how the NCAA has relaxed the admission standards due to COVID-19, uh, meaning kids don't need to take the SAT and ACT and get a necessary score. So if Miami really wanted to, I think they could get Willie Moyce in, but it doesn't seem like um, there's been much urgency on that front to to make him the 25th counter, which leads me to believe that they're still kind of hunting for uh, an offense alignment that's going to help them win games. And I, I, I would make that move too with, you know, if you say you can either take Jared Williams for one season or Willie Moyce, I think you got to take Jared because – I think we're both fairly confident he's going to be a starter at tackle, and that's what this offense needs. I think, too, you know, we, we've touched on before how the thinking was, and this was honestly before spring football, the thinking was Miami would hold that one spot open for offensive line or wide receiver. The sense I'm getting is that after that those four practices of spring, I think Miami feels better about what they have at receiver than they did before that week. That's just the impression I'm getting. So, you know, look, if a beast wide receiver comes out and says, yo, I want to go to Miami, of course, Miami should try and figure that out. But I think they feel like probably, and, you know, this is kind of clear to say, I guess. I don't know. But I think they feel like the, the need is much bigger at offensive line than wide receiver. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess we should preface this by saying who really knows what the next few months kind of entail. Um, yeah. You know, you, you toss out the fact that Jared Williams had some NFL interest. I, I've read some stories out there that there is a growing uh, theory that some guys might go to the supplemental draft if, if the college season is delayed. Um, yeah. I'm not saying Jared Williams is going to do that, but there's a lot of unknowns in terms of who's going to enter the portal. Are kids just going to be like, hey, I'm not playing because I'm not playing a spring season because I want to get ready for the NFL? Like It could um, get interesting, and I, I think that could work in Miami's favor. I think maybe some guys could enter the transfer portal that weren't before and vice versa. Maybe some guys leave Miami that didn't want to leave Miami. Yeah, I mean, the supplemental draft, it's definitely going to be an interesting thing. 
to see if anything comes of that. You know, right now I'm optimistic still that a season will happen at some point. The start date, nobody knows yet. Um, but I do think this week at least, the thinking publicly has been much more positive um, in terms of maybe September, maybe October start date. We'll see, but hopefully we get it in. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break. Coming up the other side, going to talk a little Rhett Lashley who did a Zoom meeting uh, with the media on Friday. Uh, also talk about the player likeness stuff that's happening with the NCAA uh, and an interesting article that came out from uh, the folks at 24-7 Sports. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Deucible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. All right, David. So on Friday, um, you and our, our colleagues, Chris Dock and, and Gabby Arita, I hope I said that right. He's probably going to listen to this and, and cringe. Um, you guys did a Zoom breakaway session with Rhett Lashley. Uh, you've already written a bunch of stuff about it. Just kind of give me your like biggest thing that came out of that, of that meeting session. I'm assuming it was probably a lot of coach speak, but there had to have been some type of nugget from Miami's new offensive coordinator. Yeah, I mean, I thought, honestly, the most interesting stuff he said was from uh, Gabby's questions where he wanted Rhett to go into what he looks for in a quarterback recruit. And uh, Rhett, you know, really wanted to talk about this, it seemed like. He, he went on and on, which was good for us. And he basically said, you know, the number one thing he, he needs in a quarterback is the ability to throw. He said, if you can't throw... He doesn't have time for you, which, you know, seems obvious. But I think when fans or even recruiting people look at his offense, they assume, oh, he needs a runner. He needs a a super fast athletic guy in his offense. And he kind of said, you know, second, he wants leadership. Third, he wants a guy that is an athlete. And he said, what does that mean? Um, it doesn't necessarily mean a guy who runs a four, 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 five in the 40. He believes an athlete can still be a guy who runs a four, nine in the 40, but, you know, might have some quickness to him or agility to him. You know, the ability to buy time in the pocket is an athletic thing. And he pointed to the quarterback. He had a lot of success with last year at SMU and Shane Bichelle. He said, you know, Shane 
probably runs a four nine in the 40, but he is a good athlete with his ability to uh, run and buy time and throw off various platforms. Uh, he said too, he looks, he, he likes quarterbacks that do excel at various sports. So he says, you know, the quarterback position nowadays has become super specialized and he doesn't necessarily knock guys that only focus on football, but he does think there's some value to guys who play quarterback are also the point guard of their basketball team and play shortstop for their baseball team. He thinks those guys have a lot of upside and a lot more developing to do when they get to the college level. And so he gets excited when he sees those type of guys on the recruiting trail. So those were mainly the, the primary takeaways. I think, you know, and I fall into this camp too, where I just kind of assume, oh, he only, he wants really fast quarterbacks in his offense. And probably, yes, ideally a guy that can throw the ball well and run a four five. I mean, every offense in the country wants those guys, including <laughs> Rhett Lashley but he doesn't necessarily box himself in uh, to, to only getting athletic quarterbacks because if you do that, yeah, you get a guy that can't throw and on the college level, you can't run an offense with a quarterback that can't throw. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess one thing that stood out for me about what um, he said in, in terms of that leadership, uh, multi-sport, thing is I think Tyler Van Dyke checks a lot of those boxes I mean Tyler uh, was a really good pitcher at, at the high school level as a junior um, went 9-0 and as a starter this past season New England uh, league champs and he's got a big arm so I thought that was uh, when I when I started reading what what came out like those the those those things kind of really stood out to me about Tyler Van Dyke yeah he definitely checks those boxes with the traits that Rhett Lashley looks for. It's going to be interesting to see if, if he can be uh, sneaky athletic like Rhett Lashley was saying. And it'll, it'll probably just come down to his pocket presence. And, you know, look, Tyler probably knows that that trait is going to decide whether or not he plays at the college level. So hopefully he does, you know, work on that ability in his development, that feel in the pocket of when to when to slide in various directions and try and buy time. But you're right. Like he does have the other traits that Rhett Lashley is looking for, which, you know, when he, when Rhett was hired, I think you and I were both kind of like, it'll be interesting to see how Tyler fits in this offense because he is not fleet afoot. He is a straight up pocket passer. Um, but Rhett Lashley made it clear during our, our talk with him on Friday that, that could be just fine in his offense. He's fine with that. Uh, let's kind of dive into this player likeness stuff. Um, the NCAA basically uh, not has green lighted, but it's looking more and more like players will have an opportunity to um, make money at, at the college level. I mean, that's what really what it boils down to. David, we talked about this a while ago on the podcast, yeah. um, but we think that this this ruling could be a positive for Miami. Um, and I, I guess there's a few different reasons why. Probably the biggest one is that Miami is in a, a bigger town with a lot of industry. Um, 
Yeah. And that, that would give players more endorsement opportunities. Yes. It's a big, big city marketplace. Um, it will be up to Miami as a program to be proactive and start uh, building these relationships with the South Florida businesses, I think. But if they do take those steps, I think Miami is positioned in a very good spot to be competitive in this type of marketplace. And if they do that, I think it'll help them both on the recruiting trail and with retaining draft eligible juniors for their senior seasons. So from the recruiting standpoint, um, you know, let's say a guy cause this thing is going to, uh, leak over into recruiting let's just be honest like if a guy from south florida a a local recruit for miami has similar offers monetarily from miami and let's say auburn um chances are south florida guys aren't going to really want to leave home if the money's the same you agree with that yeah i i would i would think you're probably right like not all of them, but I think more of them will stay home if, if the offers are comparable. And then, you know, the, the junior thing, I think that's where Miami could really see a big difference because, you know, the past, what, four or five years, they've had borderline guys go to the NFL draft. And look, I'm not going to sit here and say good, bad decision. These guys are grown men. They make their own decisions. Some of them have worked out, some of them not. But I think if Miami can put together packages for those guys and say, look, if you come back your senior year, you can get paid this amount of money and potentially improve your draft stock if you put the work in, I think that's a compelling argument for those guys to stay as seniors. And I think that can pay off big time for the program. I also want to point out... um, I'm interested to see how much apparel companies get involved in this whole thing. Uh, you know, Miami is partnered with Adidas and I don't know how many people realize it, but Miami's kind of one of the flagship schools for Adidas. And I'm sure this will be regulated uh, yeah. at certain levels, but at, at some point, you know, is Adidas going to start funneling kids to these programs um, knowing that, Hey, if these guys make it, they, they wore, uh, our cleats, our gear for three, four years, and, and there's a good chance we can sign them. So we, we've seen how much Adidas and, and others like Nike have invested in the grassroots with the seven on sevens and in the camps. But my thought process is, well, now you can do it at the college level and, and pay these guys. Um, w- why wouldn't you? So I think that's something I'm, I'm interested to see how that plays out as well. And look, I think it's important to point out, you know, you touched on it, but there's still things that need to be ironed out about this whole situation. There's going to be regulations and caps, I'm sure, on what guys can make in various markets and whatnot. And I think, too, we need to point out, I think we both assume the vast, vast, vast majority of these guys are not going to be getting six-figure deals. Like, No, no. The six-figure deals are going to be like Trevor Lawrence, you know? Like, he's going to be getting six figures. But, like... If Miami can put together packages of, you know, ten to thirty thousand dollars for 
a lot of their guys, you know, as grown men with careers that might not seem like a bunch of money in a year, uh, but to college kids, you know, think back to when you were 18 to 22, how long you could make money last when you were that age. Um, 10 to $30,000 is not a insignificant amount of money to college kids. You agree with that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'll just point out right now, I did not have $10,000 in my <laughs> checking account when I was in college, but yes, right. you, you could definitely uh, stretch it out. You asked me this uh, on Friday, who do you think the, the, the most marketable players on Miami are? I mean, there's two obvious ones, I, I would think. Yeah. Uh, so the guys the, who would command the most money, would probably yeah. be quarterback, De'Eric King. Um, just, he's a quarterback. I think he's going to be a successful, productive quarterback. So he's going to be able to command some money. And then Greg Rousseau, who, you know, is getting a ton of early 2021 mock draft hype. That's only going to help his um, stature in this, in this whole thing. So he's going to be able to make some money. And then the other guy, I think, is Brevin Jordan. He's a guy who is a borderline first round pick at tight end next season, according to the early mock drafts. And, you know, Brevin has a very marketable personality, to be honest. He's very friendly, likes the media. Um, he, he has a, a fun sense of humor he shows at times. And so those would be my three that I think are the most quote unquote marketable. And then who's your sleeper? Like uh, you're a, a local car dealership who's kind of the, who's, who are you trying to get your bang out of the buck for? So if I'm like trying to go cheap, but get good value, you know, you know, I would go with my boy, Mark Pope. Oh, I, dude. I think he can have a big year. I could get in cheap and I would get a lot of value on some Mark Pope uh, seasons. Who would you pick for that kind of cheap guy? Good value. Ooh, I don't know because you asked me this before. I think Cam Cam Harris, Cameron Davis, what, like whatever you want to call his. I forgot what his name is now. He he'd be one. Harris. Uh, Cam Harris. I, I think he's just real personable, and when you get him to open up, um, he's kind of funny. So I think he'd be good. I think Mister Three Hundred Five Gilbert Frierson could, could do some some good advertisements in yeah. the in the right areas. Yeah, he's a guy that would definitely embrace it for sure. Oh yeah. Well, so are t you brought this up? Are are players going to be fighting to talk with the media now? Like, is yeah. that is that? Well, I think the smart ones will. You know, if they if they understand, look, the more camera time I get, the more media time I get, that's going to uh, raise my level of general awareness in the public, and so. That just from a media standpoint, like no one cares about that. But I, I was wondering how this, this name, image, and likeness impacts us as a media in terms of are guys going to want to talk to us more now? Not that they don't uh, previously. Like these guys are all pretty cool with the media. But now like do more, will more guys like go out of their way to want to talk to us? Um, you know, when they do these media sessions with us, are they going to put on hats with their various brands? Are they going to want to put on shirts with whatever their endorsement is? It's just, it's going to be, it's a brave new world and it's going to be very interesting how it all plays out.
It's going to be fun. And I, I'm sure at some point the NCAA will put regulations in or, or conferences, but I'm just picturing Greg Russo coming off the field and <laughs> grabbing like a bang energy drink and then just fake sipping it while he uh, gives a media <laughs> scrum. But I'm, I'm assuming at some point someone's going to step in and be like, uh, no. Yes, there's going to be regulations. We'll see. I mean, it's probably a situation where nationally everyone's just going to learn as they go. It'll um, be fun. What is, uh, what is your impression on Miami's thoughts of all this? Do you, do you get the sense that there is a plan they're formulating to get out in front of this? Well, I, I've sent out some texts and uh, everyone seems to be pretty tight-lipped on it. But uh, I'm lead to believe, led to believe, I should say, that they do have something cooking up. Um, we saw Andy Vaughn, the director of player personnel, tweet out and point out uh, as soon as this ruling came out that Miami, or I should say the state of Florida doesn't have a state income tax. Um, yeah. So I think they're going to try to play up that angle. I think they're also going to try to sell the, the brand of Miami. Now, uh, some other programs, I know Texas is one of them. Like this past recruiting class, they made player-specific logos for every player that, that signed with them. I don't think Miami's got to that level, but I do believe that, that Manny's kind of forward-thinking, Ephraim Bonda, those other guys in that, um, on that staff, and look at how they attack the portal. Miami got in, yeah. in on it early, and I think Miami will try to do that. And I, I also think if you're a program that embraces this now – that's going to pay off long term. You're going to be ahead of other people, and then everyone's going to kind of figure it out. So I don't know the specifics yet. I don't know when they're going to leak out, but it seems like Miami and Manny are, are for this. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the the programs that embrace this and attack it, rather that like you see some head coaches around the country give quotes about how this isn't good for college football. This is opening Pandora's box. All that kind of stuff. If I'm a fan of those schools, I do not want to hear this because yeah. this thing is happening. And so you're either on board and you're going to uh, exploit it and get the most of it and see the rewards of doing that, or you're going to get left in the dust. And so, you know, I think you touching on Miami's, uh, Manny's, sorry, Manny's forward thinking with the transfer portal when that was a new thing, I think you should. Miami fans should feel good about his ability to be forward thinking with this name image and likeness thing too. And hopefully he is because I think if he does do that, if he does have a plan, it's going to pay off. All right. Last thing real quick. Uh, Chris Hummer of 24 seven sports published a story on, on the national site uh, earlier in the week. Definitely check it out. If you guys can, basically what he did was a five year study from 2011 to 2015, I think, uh, and try to find the success rate uh, these, that schools have producing players. I mean, everyone signs these four-star recruits, but how many of these uh, four-star recruits are actually being drafted? And surprisingly, Miami uh, had the third or fourth best percentage, uh, I, I, I think. Yeah. What, what, what I was think the fourth or fifth, but yeah, they trailed – you know, the, the heavyweights like Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, all those schools you would assume are doing the best job of producing four stars into the NFL draft. Miami was right there with them percentage-wise, most of them. Yeah, so, so Miami in, in that 
was that five year span? I said they had they signed twenty four top twenty four seven players, and fifty four percent of those guys ended up getting getting drafted. Kind of as a comparison, if you just want to look at some other some other schools, um, Michigan in that same time frame signed twenty six top twenty four seven guys. Uh, only twenty six of those guys ended up getting drafted. Uh, there's another one that is making the rounds. Texas, Texas signed thirty three top 24-7 players, only 15% of those guys get drafted. So I just thought this was a cool article or an interesting article just yeah. given how a ton of the South Florida-based media has done nothing but bash Miami for not developing NFL players over the, over the past few weeks with the NFL draft here. And um, it, it, just, it just shows this study that you know, Miami is, is actually hitting. And, 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 and in this study, you know, they, they, they toss out guys who have career-ending injuries and um, who didn't qualify or medically retired and whatnot. Right. So I, I thought it was real, real interesting to note. And I, I honestly want to know how many of those guys were defensive guys that got developed and drafted. Yeah, I mean, Miami should be pounding their chest about this study and all that kind of stuff. Um, I do agree that the narrative that Miami doesn't develop its guys and get them to the NFL is a little misguided and overhyped because yes, there's no denying that the first round talent Miami that we saw the early part of the two thousands decade. And, you know, prior to that, when they had a first round streak going, um, there's no doubt that Miami has not been producing NFL level guys at that caliber in recent years, but, you know, getting guys drafted period is something that should not be overlooked. And I think it shows just how jaded maybe the South Florida media might be when it comes to Miami and the NFL draft, because the expectation, and I would argue unfairly, especially in recent years, like, yeah, Miami went six and seven last year who is expecting them to have first round draft picks? Like, why is this even a story? Um, but yeah, getting drafted period is hard. And when you look at, again, Miami went six and seven last year, they had four guys drafted. And where does that rank among other programs for this past draft? It was still like, wasn't it like a top 10 ish level yeah. of, of producing talent? And then, for the past decade, Miami was top 10 with producing NFL draft picks, you know, trailing all the heavyweights again, Ohio State, Alabama. I mean, Miami was right in that mix. So there's no doubt that they aren't producing first round picks like we expect. I think that is a challenge for Manny Diaz to get Miami back to that. Um, but I would argue, look, you can't necessarily view the success of a program through the lens of an NFL draft. I think, you know, the, the, the talent level at Miami to me is not necessarily the, the biggest issue to me. It comes down to quarterback yeah, and, and, you know, head coach stability. And so this, this 2020 season in my mind is going to test that theory that I just threw out with quarterback because I am a big believer in Derek King I think he might be the answer Miami's been looking for at quarterback. And, you know, if, if Derek has success this year, 
I mean, I think Manny Diaz would almost have to try and mess it up this year. Um, we'll see how that plays out, but I'm a big believer in what Derek can do on offense and what Miami and Manny Diaz have rolling on defense right now. All right, guys, I think that's going to do it for uh, this, this podcast. Quick little episode. Want to tease um, since we're going trying to do two a week moving forward. Definitely next podcast will be very recruiting based. Um, I think people will know why soon, if that makes Ooh. sense. Uh, some some Ooh. good news I think is coming for Miami. Um, and so we'll, we'll kind of get into it. But again, going to remind you guys, please subscribe, uh, like, share the podcast. It, it's a big help for us. Helps us keep this thing going because um, we're, now we're past the one-year mark and, and, and 24-7 sports is kind of nudging it along. So we're no longer on the maiden voyage. Uh, this, is, <laughs> this is trip two. Five stars. Let's go. I want to see them roll in. All right, guys. We'll talk to you next time. Take care.